0: Welcome to the session titled, Marriages on Purpose. Uh, How many of you got married by accident? That was the first thing that came to my mind when I got this title. Marriages on Purpose. How many people there got married by accident? Um, It's just an assumption that whoever you're with here this afternoon was somebody that you loved, you wanted to spend the rest of your life with, you pursued them, and they became your husband or wife, however that was, and, um, and you are married on purpose. But, you know, the, the title, Marriages on Purpose, goes way beyond just that initial um, impetus maybe for our marriage. Um, it really speaks to, to something much deeper, um, and, and it tries to answer the question, does my marriage have a reason to exist? And so we all made a solemn covenant before God and, and said that we were going to do this for life. And, um, but does it have a reason to exist? Um, and in light of that reason for existence is your marriage on purpose. In light of the reason for existence is your marriage on purpose. Now, I am not a marriage counselor, However, I do speak to people almost daily about their marriages, and I can assure you that this whole thing of marriage spans the gamut from the shockingly horrible to the brilliantly amazing. That's about the spectrum that you're going to see in marriages. The other thing that I want to point out here early on is that marriages impact way more than just the two people in them. Whatever this purpose or whatever's supposed to be coming out coming out of our marriages it impacts our children it goes up and impacts our parents it impacts our friends it impacts the churches that we are in and it moves on out and it impacts really all of society and so just saying that should give you a little bit of a sense of the power that there is in marriage just simply the number of people and things that it impacts now, um, there is only one marriage that I'm very familiar with, at least I thought I was until I came here, and now I'm discovering maybe I don't know much about it, um, and, and so I want to I share a little bit as I go through this talk about our marriage uh, with Emily's full support. Uh, we love to laugh at ourselves, uh, usually, <laughs> um, and so uh, um, I'll share some of that as we go along. Hopefully, you can learn something from us if... Uh, if not encouragement, maybe warning uh, from our experience. The other thing that I want to point out is we've only been married next year 25 years, and that probably sounds like a, lot, a long time for some of you, um, but that's not very long. And, and what that means is, is that any perspective I have at this moment is going to be very incomplete. So we have two married daughters. We have one grandbaby. We have two teenagers. We have three uh, pre-teens, and then our baby is six. And so I just throw that out there to show you the, the challenges that we're having right now because there are so many different types of needs and, and uh, things we're trying to uh, navigate as a couple in our marriage um, way more than just when it was just a couple little children at home. Um, the other thing... The other thing, and this is something I told the men, is is at this stage in my life, it feels like there's so much dust in the air, I'm not sure what I actually know for sure. And and I also know from past experience that when we've been married 50 years, I will very likely look back at this point, at this time, and just be like, I can't believe I said some of those things. And the reason I know that to be true is because I've been in the ministry now 17 years, and when I go back and look at some of those first sermons that I preached, it's embarrassing. I, I look at him for a little bit and I'm like, oh, did I really say that? I sure wouldn't say it like that now. And, and so life ch- and experience changes you and, and it's changing us, um, Emily and I. Um, another uh, preliminary thing is just thank you very much for all the work you put into your surveys. Um, incredible uh, works that you did. Um, it's, it's created a, a terrible dilemma for me, though. And, and I'll tell you what it is, is I prepared an hour-long talk for this afternoon, and then I got all of your responses and, and all those wonderful things that you wrote. And, and I, 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 I determined I have to share this somehow with you, and that's like another hour's worth. I only got one hour. And so um, I, I didn't come prepared to do a PowerPoint. Um, it was just, uh, the, the message was just on paper, and so I decided to put what you said into PowerPoint, and so now I'm juggling two hour-long messages, one's in PowerPoint, one's on paper. I have no idea how to mix them, and so it's, it's going to be clunky. Don't overanalyze my slides. Uh, many of them were done very, very late last night and early this morning, and so it's just, it is what it is. Um, thank you for your grace ahead of time. It probably sounds a little bit strange to you to be asked about, as I did in that survey, something like how you're doing in the area of child rearing or finances or the level of intimacy in your marriage or whatever. But as I have been meditating on this whole thing of purpose coming out of our marriage, I have been driven back just over and over again to the heart of marriages. And it's, it's, it's come so forcefully to me That there is nothing in terms of a beautiful purpose that flows out of a dysfunctional marriage. Where the marriage is, I think about my garden. Like right now, this time of year, I, I often go out to my garden and hope that there's some type of a beautiful produce coming out of the garden. But there is nothing wonderful in October if you did not do your work in June and July. It's just the way it is. It's universal. It's never changed for me. And it's the same way in our marriages. If we are not investing in those marriages, there is no beautiful purpose coming out of our marriage. Now, a word about these these, um, little questionnaires I gave you, I expected that they would be heavily skewed to the right in terms of where I would find those those numbers, and that's exactly what I found. Because generally, people that come to family and marriage retreats are interested in marriage and family. That's just the, the, the population here is biased. And I, I want to go one step further to show you how biased it is. I think there are eight of you here that were at the um, youth bible school eight years ago when I taught there. And I find that so intriguing that that it's a, you are individuals who eight years ago were coming as young people wanting to know about life and all of that and you sat and were taught and now you're here eight years down the line, you're married, you have a child or two with you and you're still coming, still wanting to learn and that's a tremendous blessing to me. And so I did know that the results would be somewhat skewed to the right. Um, but I do want to share as I go along some of that, uh, some of your answers with us. Um, I really want you all to do the talking, and, and I know that a couple of things, um, it's, it's been difficult to get a good, robust conversation going here. Partly it's because of the way we're sitting. Um, it doesn't lend itself to that. The other is, you're, many of you are young, and so you probably don't feel like you're hardly authoritative enough to even speak to some of these things. Uh, I don't know what all the other factors are, but it's been difficult to get a good conversation going. Um, and so, a lot of what I'm going to be presenting today, though, is your voice. It's what you are saying, and so uh, in a way, you're going to get to listen to what all of your brothers and sisters here today are thinking and saying. Um, I want to I want to speak a few words about purpose before I I dive into this. Um, just about purpose and potential in general. Now. The first thing about purpose is that it informs direction. And so when you all set out to come to this place and you pulled out of your driveway, the purpose to arrive at this place determined the the direction of travel. I heard of one person, maybe they got lost and that that was frustrating because it was against their purpose. And the other thing it did was it, it, it defined the direction you were going and it also defined what directions you weren't going to go. That's something that purpose does. Um, purpose defines parameters. You know, every day I go to work and the primary purpose is to sit down with people, listen to their problems, try to figure out what's going on and try to help them to get better. Now, there are many other things that I love to do with the I love to drink coffee. I like to chat with all the staff. I like to read my emails. I like to to, to read journal articles. All those are wonderful things, but they all, every day they have to be clipped at a certain level so that I can do the primary purpose. Um, not that those things are bad, but they have to be clipped. And purpose defines parameters. Purpose also answers the question, why am I doing this? Um, you know, I think most businesses have a A business statement that just simply explains why they're in business. And everything circles around that. This is why we're doing it. Someone asked me recently, how long do you intend to work where you're working? I said, as long as the organization is is, uh, faithful to their mission. Um, Because um, it brings meaning to me. The vision brings meaning. Purpose gives meaning. It answers the question why we're doing this. Another one is purpose is needed to survive the tough times. The challenges are going to come, and it is not going to be easy. And there are days that we all want to quit, uh, maybe even our marriages. Um, But but mission and purpose reminds us there's something worth sacrificing for, something worth forgiving for, something worth going the hard road for. And then finally, purpose reminds us of the potential. I, I think so often when we are in the middle of something, and maybe there's a lot of dust flying like it might be in my life right now. It's difficult to to remember the potential that does exist, Um, and you stop believing that it's even possible. I I think um, so often, uh, you know, if if a fellow were to look at a a tree um, and he didn't know anything about potential, he might only see firewood, but if he was he was someone that was making cabinets or making furniture, he would, he would see the potential of those boards in there. And, and that's what defining the purpose does. It also reminds us of potential. Now, um, because of what Satan is doing on the marriage front in general in our world, marriages are, some, are something that are, are, are really being seen as just something that brings heartache, disappointment, um, abuse, sorrow. It's just a ticking time bomb until it implodes. That's what we get to see. And it's being carelessly discarded and and cheaply valued. Um, But the potential that's held in a vibrant marriage that is on purpose is something that terrifies Satan. He is terrified of it. And his greatest goal I think, is to make it look like something that doesn't have any potential and, and is very worthless. I think it's interesting, though, that even a non-Christian stable marriage, and there are those, I see them, is a threat to Satan. He has to attack the stability of every marriage, and I think it's because that even a stable non-Christian marriage still points to God. And so all marriages are, especially if they have any stability in them, are um, a potential target for Satan. Um, There is incredible potential in our marriages. That's why he's attacking them. And there's a lot that's yet to be discovered. A couple of weeks ago, I was looking in our newspaper, and I read this very intriguing story about a fella in the Gaza Strip. Did anybody read anything recently about a fella in the Gaza Strip? you know where that's at there. It's, it's just a wasteland. It's a miserable little piece of property. Well, he went out to plant an olive tree, according to our newspaper, right there by his house. And he was digging and he hit something that was, that seemed hard. And he started throwing the dirt, digging after it a little bit. And little by little, he uncovered this beautiful intricate stone mosaic. And I saw pictures of it and it's, it's incredible. And it was, it, was, it was under the dirt right there by his little shack. And it really shocked everybody. And the reason is, is because nobody believed that the Gaza Strip had anything like that. That was that beautiful, that had been there for maybe several thousand years. It's, it, it's very ancient. It shocked them because they didn't believe that that was possible to be there. Th- what I want... The, the effect of this talk to be for us today, if, if, there is, if there can be any, is for us to leave this place with deeper curiosity, deeper wonder, deeper desire to, to discover the potential that is held in each one of our marriages. Um, Satan would like for us to believe it's, a, it's little more than firewood. So let's, let's set out on this journey a little bit together. Complete the sentence. You've already seen it. What is the primary purpose of marriage? Sam says it's very easy. Um, I've been chewing on that question for months now and um, asking that question of just about everybody, it seems like. um, I asked all of my coworkers, what is the primary purpose of your marriage? Um, And I even went to the uh, hassle of writing up this questionnaire just for everybody in the office and they all took it gladly and none of them turned it back in. (laughs) I don't know it was a terrible survey I guess Um, one of them did tell me though she says well it's to live with a person that you love and another one said I think it's to demonstrate God maybe even in the hard times Um, I asked this question at at a Sunday dinner table a while back what's the primary purpose of marriage and it sounded about like that it got real quiet (laughs) like uh uh-oh um I asked my patients, and I'll, I'll share one of them with you, a dear old German Christian man that's been married for 60 years, I said, what's the purpose of marriage? And he said, this is what he said, I wish I could get his accent right, to make others ask the question, what is that couple on? <laughs> I, just, I like that. <laughs> oh, He's a dear old fella. Um, and then I, of course, turned to the Bible because I knew that there had to be an answer in there. And, and I went right to Ephesians uh, 5, and I found it there in the, in the 31st verse, for this cause. And as soon as I saw that word, word cause, I thought, you know what, this, my, my, job, my search is over. Uh, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined into his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. That didn't answer it for me, so I went to the verse before it, because I said the cause has to be in there somewhere. And it says, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And I, 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 I didn't get it out of that. And so I said, well, the cause must surely follow it. And so I went to the following verse, and this is what it says. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And that's when I started getting very depressed and feeling very sorry for myself that I had to give this talk because if the Apostle Paul says it's a mystery, how am I gonna figure it out? Anyway, um, and so finally I concluded, I'm just gonna ask them, (laughs) and that's what I did. I asked you uh, what the purpose of marriage is, and so we're gonna start going through this a little bit. Um, I'm gonna step kind of over here to the side so I can see along with you. I started with what the men had to say, so I divided it up, the men and the women. So this is what the men say, refine me closer to God's heart and image to glorify Christ, to be an example of Christ in His church, represent Christ and His bride, produce a godly heritage, sanctify the couple, light for Christ in a dark world, to bring glory to God by being an example of Christ's love for the church, exemplify the relationship of Christ. You're going to hear this phrase, Christ in the church, a lot of times. Um, To glorify God, you'll see glorify, the word glorify, To glorify God and to work as a team in advancing the Kingdom. To bring glory to God as we learn from and sharpen and encourage one another. To glorify God by learning to die to my selfishness and independent spirit so we can be more like Jesus. To fulfill God's purpose for procreation, to enjoy God through relationship, to bring Him glory better. To delightfully dwell together, joined by God for mutual spiritual, emotional, and physical fulfillment. Complimenting one another in all of life, including parenting, ministry, and decision-making. This is what you're saying. To complete us and me through God's provision of each other. Secondary purpose to provide a nurturing environment for children. To glorify God by ministering to those around us. To bring glory to God. To bring about more holiness in our lives. That's what the men said. Now this is what the sisters have to say. To show a light to the world by being a picture of Christ in the church. A relationship and companionship and someone to love and walk through life with. To be a picture of Christ in the church for the world to see and for His glory. To be a grand display of the relationship of Christ and His church. For a husband and wife to blend their dreams and differences and passions together into a beautiful companionship that reflects Christ in the church. These are just beautiful. To glorify God and to demonstrate the relationship of Christ in the church. Learning more about Christ's relationship with His church. To reflect a picture of Christ's relationship with His bride. To be a picture of Christ and His, and his bride to our children, our church family, in the world. To make me holy, not necessarily happy. To act out the role of Christ and His care and headship of the church. To glorify God, to bring glory to God by raising godly seed, to be an example of Christ in the church to the world, children, and others, to glorify God. To glorify God, learn selflessness in providing an example to our children of God-honoring marriage. To love, serve, and glorify God and display Jesus' love for the children to portray Christ's relationship with His bride, the church. To bring glory to God while being sanctified. To walk closely with my husband in full transparency so that we will build each other up in faith, so that we can be an example of Christ's love for the church and a testimony to the unbeliever or encouragement to a believer. So that's what the sisters had to say um, about the purpose of their marriage. You know, those are all excellent answers, and, and I wouldn't have expected really to see anything different than that. Bring glory to God and demonstrate Christ and the church. But there must be more to it. Um, Either either we don't yet fully understand it or we're having trouble executing it. That's probably why we're having this talk in the first place. Um, It seems like we're all very well able to articulate um, a good uh, understanding of what the purpose of marriage is. It's definitely bigger than us it's not just about us. It's about God. It's about His church. It's about a message that needs to go out. Um, it's more than an accident. It's not just coexistence. It's, it's purpose-driven, and it includes God. You know, when Emily and I began forming a relationship in our late teens, she and I both worked together at her brother Rodney's veterinary clinic there in Greencastle, uh, Pennsylvania, and, and, and we had so much fun. We, we uh, uh, we helped out with surgeries and we cleaned out the kennels and we stocked the shelves. And sometimes we would take loads of dead euthanized animals to the rendering plant. And we did a lot of interesting things together. And I didn't really have any feelings for her at the beginning. I was very carnal and going a very different direction with my life. But You know, we just gradually started enjoying being together. And, um, and that just happened more and more. She was bubbly. She was witty, she was smart, and, and I loved being with her. And, and I got to know her family, uh, her mom and her dad, and I liked, I liked being with them and, and spending time in, in their house. And after a while, we just got married. And there was no grand purpose for our marriage. We just wanted to live together. We wanted to have children. Um, we liked dreaming together. We shared a lot of things in common. We loved people. We loved books. We loved stories of missionaries in foreign lands. And, and, um, you know, I would say at that point, the whole world was before us. It didn't matter where it took us. We were just ready to go. And that's kind of how we started out life. And we naively headed out. Um, When God made Adam and Eve... um, in Genesis 1, it says that they were to become bearers of the image of God. And so, what we're wanting to look at next is what God said about purpose. Um, this is what He said. They said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion. So, God created man in His own image. In the image of God created He Him, male and female created He them. And so, Male and female are His image, and together they bear the image of God. They are image bearers. That's part of it. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. Sounds like purpose. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And so, if, when I distill that down, this is what I come up with. That there is a threefold purpose. We are to be fruitful and multiply, produce life. Secondly, replenish and subdue the earth. And I I just think of that as promoting life. And then the third thing is have dominion over it. Protect life. And God said that He gave everything to man wherein was life. And so it seems to me like The purpose is all around life, producing life, promoting life, and protecting life, whatever that means. Um, And I think that what you are going to find in a marriage that is on purpose is you're going to find life and lots of it. We'll talk more about that. Um, We often think of Joshua that the great leader of God's people, in that declaration that he said there that about his house, he had told the people, you need to make a choice between the gods of the Amorites or the, the one true God. He says, But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I think what he was saying was, as it concerns my house, we are going to pursue life. Now, that in itself is a declaration of war because Satan. His whole mission is to bring death. And so to to declare we are going after life is really a declaration of war. Um, Now, I um, I want to make this little comment about marriage before we get too wrapped up in this purpose thing because it's easy when you start talking about purpose to start thinking that it's, thinking in utilitarian terms, like this is a utilitarian type thing. I'm supposed to get married. I'm supposed to have children. I'm supposed to stay together until we die. And, and, and it can just be very dry and, and miserable. It's not how it is. Um, God's creative works, and he owns marriage, by the way. In his creative works, he never stops at utility. Stop and think about that just a little bit. He does not stop at utility. He infuses it with extravagant beauty, limitless possibilities, um, extravagant hidden delights. And that is what he wants to show us as we try to realize his purpose for life in our marriage. And when we begin to do that, there is an awful lot of marriage that is not just strictly utilitarian. Um, in its nature. Ephesians 5.28, I'm going to go into this. It just says, he that loveth his wife loveth himself. Now, do you think that's a selfish statement about a man? He he loves his wife and so then he's loving himself. It's actually a statement of truth is what it is. And if you see a fellow that's not loving his wife, it would be very right to say, you hate yourself. If you had any idea what a guy gets to enjoy when he loves his wife, you would think that you were cheating yourself too. And it's an example of just a hidden delight. When a man loves his wife, it's like he's loving himself, and God set it up that way. Yet it comes back a hundredfold. Nothing, uh, vibrant marriages are not only producing, promoting life, but they themselves have to be full of that life. Nothing is going to come out of that marriage until it is full itself. Nothing spills out until that thing is full. That cup that Luke showed you did not spill out onto those saucers and those plates until that cup itself was full. And that's the way it is in marriage. At least it's been what I've discovered in my marriage. One characteristic of, of a vibrant marriage is that, is that are on purpose is they're spilling life out all over the place. Um, they have fullness of life and it's touching everything about it in a life-giving way. It's not a marriage on life support. It is a marriage that is giving. A beautiful illustration at the end of the last talk of the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. One of them is giving, one of them is just receiving. A marriage that is only existing on what is supplied by others is a marriage that is dying. <clears throat> Something about vibrant marriages is, is they draw you and they intrigue you and you want to know more about them and be near them. Have you ever experienced that? Like saw a really vibrant marriage. It, it carries intrigue, doesn't it? Um, I wondered... Um, If you know of any marriages like that, I want you to stop and just think of the the marriage that you can think of that just shines the brightest because you know a lot of them. and Then we're gonna throw out some names. So just think a little bit and then I want you to tell me what you see coming out of their marriage. All right, who wants to offer one? We should follow the steps of wise men and women and that's why I feel very comfortable saying who are they? Yes, Kent. Anthony and, Anthony and Heather. yes. What do you see coming out of their life? Their they marriage? They resolve through conflicts well. They work through their conflicts well. Thank you. Yes. Tom and Laurie. Tom and Laurie Moeller, What do you see coming out of their marriage? Passion for each other. And for they love each other and God. Oh. Okay, yeah, another one. Uh, Uncle Kent and <laughs> Okay, tell us about it. <laughs> tell us about Kent and Joanna's marriage. What do you see? It's really obvious to me that they love each other. Okay. And I can see that then transferring in the direction of their children or taught I me mean, they even behave themselves around other people. Wow. They love each other well and that's just flowing into their children. Hmm. Beautiful. What else? Anybody else want to? Yes, in the back. Mark and Judy Rineker. Mark and Judy, Mark and Judy another, another exemplary marriage. In what way? I mean, uh, they, 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 they really do just enjoy being around each other. Uh-huh. Yeah, You've do. noticed that in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, here's another one. Lowell and Sarah Pilgrim. Lowell and Sarah Of course. <laughs> I should have suggested that one. What do you see? (laughs) Yep, I've seen it too. Anybody else want to share one? Yes, Emily. Charles and Sue Ray. Ray. Is there anybody that doubts that Charles loves Sue? (laughs) He can't stop gushing on about his wife. He he does it every chance he gets. (laughs) It's interesting, isn't it? You already know who has these wonderful marriages. It's because there's something coming out of those marriages, and it's touching you, and it impacts you. Now, I'm not going to ask you to tell me about the lousiest marriages that you know of, but you know about them probably about as well as you do the vibrant ones. They hurt you. They, they make you feel pain in your heart. Um, maybe you don't want to be close to them. Maybe maybe they it feels like they pull something out of you every time you go close to them. Um, those kind unfortunately do exist too. Um, and likely what's happening in those marriages is what little life there is left in them, it's just being used to keep the marriage from imploding. It's like a dry sponge. There's nothing, nothing can come out. That's, that's beautiful because they're so busy just keeping it together. Why is it that two Christian people can't just produce, promote, and protect life? Well, the, the reason is, is because It's a battle against life and death. On every front for the Christian, it's a battle between life and death. And it's the same way in our marriages. We are fighting against the infilling of death in our marriages. Now, the first part of a purpose-driven marriage is it must produce, promote, and protect life within itself. That's where it has to start if it's gonna come out. And so I wanted to, to start back with what you said you are doing to try to bring about this purpose that that we've already looked at. And so let's look at what you said. Practical ways we as brothers are attempting to live out the primary purpose of our marriage. Let's start with what the men said first. I attempt to put my family's needs above my own. I attempt to understand the joys, pleasures, and struggles of my wife. I attempt to understand rather than to be understood. I attempt to lead rather than be passive. Finding practical ways to love my wife, especially when I don't feel like it. Struggling to learn what dwelling with her according to knowledge is. This is all the in-working of the marriage really before it begins to just spill out. Not working excessive hours so I can spend more time at home. Making time to intentionally listen to her. Helping with dishes, laundry, house cleaning, and giving her back rubs trying to be a spiritual leader at home, delighting my wife through acts of service. This is what you wrote. Helping my neighbors and showing interest in them, encouraging other Christians to press on. Sincerely considering my spouse's opinion, specifically serving my spouse, ministering together with my spouse, encouraging my spouse to not be dependent on me, but God instead. Committing frequent connection, communication times, listening, affirming words, trying to ditch the criticism. Leadership in the small things that seem insignificant. Striving together in God's kingdom. Working together to raise children for the Lord. Investing time into my wife to encourage and edify her. Prayer. Coming to homes on purpose. Way to go, men. Sharing (laughs) shortcomings. Esteeming her better than myself. Encouraging her in spiritual growth and maturity. Attempting to serve her so she feels my love. Demonstrating my willingness to sacrifice myself for her welfare serving my wife, communicating, raising up godly seed, building the best relationship ever, discussing truths in in intimate ways, living selflessly, loving my wife unconditionally, forgiving, stepping into my role well as a leader like the man of Christ, like the man Christ Jesus, hospitality, praying together, family worship, striving to love my wife as Christ, Um, loving my wife, providing for my wife, preparing for my wife, washing my wife spiritually, leading her spirits. These are all the things that us men are trying to do to have life in our marriage. And then we come to the sisters, and this is what they have to say on their side. Um, honoring my husband, helping him excel where God calls him, letting challenges refine me, showing my children a picture of Christ in the church, being submissive, praying, having children, not speaking ill of my husband out loud or in my head. Continually trying to weed out selfishness to honor, respect, and love my husband better. Maintaining a good relationship with my husband so we can reach out to others together. Living in submission to my husband. Trusting him to lead our family. Letting him meet our needs financially. Wearing a head covering to show that I'm under his authority. Trying to support and encourage my husband. Trying to rejoice and give thanks in all things. Beautiful, beautiful words that that the sisters are saying. These are the things and we're trying to learn from each other. So keep his love tank full, even when I don't feel like it. Living joyful, life joyfully with our children and trying to teach them through our life's experiences. Opening our home to others, making friends with our neighbors, reaching out to the younger believers around us, respecting my husband by my words and actions, being faithful to him as my only love, looking to him as my spiritual and physical head, my leader, protector, and friend. Be the first to the cross, asking forgiveness. Genuine interest and care in my spouse, placing value on intimacy, praying and reading God's word with strong belief and faith that it has answers, extend both correction and forgiveness, watching my thoughts that they're respectful, being an intercessor instead of an accuser, in any situation asking what does Christ's life teach me and apply the gospel, being a helper to my husband, being submissive to him, being a team. There's a lot of themes that repeat themselves, realizing I don't have to have it my way laying down my wishes. These are all things that are going on very likely in these marriages that you said are vibrant. Giving my husband the benefit of the doubt. Talking and listening through conflict. Respecting my husband in every area. Doing everything I can to pour vibrancy into our marriage. Intentional regular communication and heart connection. Physical intimacy a top priority. Focus on personal growth in Jesus. Praying together, taking walks together, having occasional one-on-one date nights, living and doing life together, doing the work of of being vulnerable and close spiritually, making amends for wrongs, daily inventory, learning from bad experiences, becoming more one, overcoming our differences, giving ourselves through hospitality. Let God use us to understand and encourage other people. It goes on. I don't want to just belabor this. not dwelling on my spouse's faults and never verbalizing to others negative about him, praying, praying, praying for grace, humility, and growth in our relationship by being builders in the kingdom of heaven, honoring and respecting my husband, letting God continually mold and shape my heart, putting my husband's need before my own. And that's kind of what the sisters had to say. That's that's what they're doing or believe they should be doing in their marriages to bring about life. Um, all right, let me get reoriented here a little bit, let my eyes adjust. Um, and 346, all right, 246. Um, now I want to, um, I want to just say this about, uh, we're going to soon go into some of the things that I found in this, in this survey that I gave you, um, but in a vibrant marriage, at whatever spot you touch the marriage, you're going to, I think, find a flurry of activity. Now that doesn't mean that it's all gonna be positive, but you're gonna find activity there. You're gonna find life there. Um, you would discover a, a growing resiliency, um, increase unity maybe around child rearing, a, a, an increasing level of satisfying intimacy um, if Christ is truly in the marriage, then you're going to discover life wherever you probe the marriage because it's a living marriage. Um, and and if, if you were to do an autopsy of, of a good marriage, that's what you would find. All through it, you're going to find life. That doesn't mean there's nothing that's being worked on, but there's life. Now, if you did an autopsy of a dead marriage, there really I don't think there would be a lot of surprises. I think what you would discover at any of those points is just more death. Um, you know, a lot of times when people come to see me, they want some type of an assessment of their health. Like, where am I at? Am I healthy or not? And, and it's challenging. You, it, it's not easy to just look at someone and say, you are healthy. Uh, you might be tempted to celebrate a cholesterol level less than 200. But, but just that piece of information doesn't really say an awful lot about, about their health. You don't know what they're eating, how they're living, whether they smoke, and on and on and on and on until you look at a lot of different points. And so in this survey that I gave you, just pointing to finances and saying, we're, we're doing great, it doesn't say a whole lot about your marriage. You have to look, what is the level of life across the gamut of my marriage." Now, I want to look here, let's let's move on to some interesting survey results. Um, I want to get around here. The first one I put up is, and I've spent a lot of time with these surveys, and and I've enjoyed it immensely, but one of them is the overwhelming majority of you feel that you are doing excellent in the area of your finances. Now, I want to make a comment about that. I've been thinking about that. Finances are typically a spot where there's a lot of tension in a marriage. And um, I, I got to thinking, well, maybe it's just because they're all mostly young couples and they haven't really hit those things yet. But then another one came to me. About 15 years ago, when, or more than that now, I guess, about 20 years ago, when Emily and I were young couples, there was a push in our generation for teaching on finances. Brother Kurt was one of them, actually. He, he gave seminars on how to work through finances as a young couple. And I don't know if this is fruit from the work done 20 years ago, but it might actually be. Our daughter just got married, Tabitha, and they, had, they might have set up a budget even before they got married. And, and they're budgeting everything. And um, Emily and I have never had a budget. Wouldn't have a clue how to budget. Um, that's just where we're at. If that's our generation. <laughs> I'll tell you about our finances shortly um, and how that works. Um, but our generation, you know, um, our parents were hippies. And we came along and and uh, we didn't get everything right, but there were people who were teaching, and I think you all might be some of the recipients of that. It just kind of excites me to maybe see some fruit in the next generation. At this point, as young couples, you feel very, a very high level of unity in your child rearing. Most of you indicated that you're, you're very united on child rearing, and um, uh, um, <laughs> That's wonderful. Um, My prayer is that it continues, and it very likely will, as you keep coming to these types of events and learning how to be excellent parents. Um, It does get more challenging. Um, Most of you feel a high level of resiliency in your marriage. Like, our marriage could probably take a pretty decent hit, and it would survive it. Um, I think, Someone said, the Lord will ensure a dark night of the soul for everyone at some point. And that's when you begin to understand the resiliency of your marriage. But nevertheless, it's, it's good now. Um, almost every person here believes that their marriage is getting better. And so on the far end of the spectrum, is your marriage getting better or worse? Like everybody thinks their marriage is getting better. Even the people that maybe put some of the lowest numbers in portions of their marriage, they still think it's getting better. And that's very exciting to me also, that people are pretty os- optimistic. Maybe it's just because we're here on top of the mountain and we're at a marriage retreat, but, but we do think that it's getting better. The second point that I'll put up there, that I have up there on this slide is, if you rated your marriage low in the area of trust, many other areas are being affected. No other question had more global impact than the lack of trust. And I looked for that extensively. I tried to find out if there was any other question that had a global impact on pretty much everything else. And none of, none of the other questions that I asked you impact globally, from what I can tell, but trust does. If trust is low, there's a lot, lot more going on, a lot of other points where, where you're struggling And it really ramps up that trust is so foundational. It has to be there and and, uh, where it's not, we need to to seek that, desire it, do what it takes to get that restored. Um, Be trustworthy. Okay, Um, now this slide is also uh, somewhat interesting as it relates to, to the survey. And I called these areas of opportunity, and I went back through them all, and I said, okay, what every for instance, don't, don't start thinking there's lots of ones and twos in this group. When I looked for areas of opportunity, I said anything less than eight is an opportunity. And so this might just be five to five to seven through seven. But but I saw these as areas of opportunity. So the first one is the ability to resolve four things that came out very clearly, and this is across the board. I, I looked multiple times to try to see, are these the, the real four, and, and it is. The first one is ability to resolve conflict, and men equal women on this one. They say it, you say it, equally. Um, there's, a, there's the same number of men that are saying, we're struggling in the area to resolve, in this area of resolving conflict. Resolving conflict, is, is um, it's a skill that has to be developed. And for, a, for young couples to say, we're kind of struggling resolving our conflict, it doesn't really upset me too much or discourage me. There's a right time to say things, there's a right way to say things, there's a right place to say things. And in, in the area of conflict resolution, you will get better and better. As you study your spouse, you'll get better and better and better at that over, over your marriage. Um, but that is something that, that um, we're struggling with. Vibrancy of family worship. Now, in case you wives think that, that men are just strutting around thinking about how good they're doing in their family, family worship and devotions, I can assure you the men in this group are very hard on themselves. They give themselves very low ranks in how they're doing in family worship. The, the women are more uh, gracious among us, and they're saying that they're typically better than the men. Now, I don't know if, I, I have no clue who said what, so I don't know if they're in the same family, but, but overwhelmingly, um, the, the men say we're not doing great in family worship. And I'm going to spend much time with that because Luke's talking about that tonight. And Luke, that is number two on areas of opportunity, family worship. And so we'll be looking forward to that tonight reconciling incompatibilities. The sisters say, there's more more of the sisters saying we're struggling in reconciling our incompatibilities than men. So men, I don't know if we just kind of glaze over it, think it's always going to be that way. Yeah, we've got these little differences between us, but that's not important. I think one of the things I take away from this is that the reconciling of those seeming incompatibilities, it's important to our wives. They want to be more one with us. And, 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 and on those areas where we are rubbing each other, and, and it's, not, it's not pleasant, men probably tend to walk away from it, and the women want to see it. They want to see it resolved. They want to be more one with us men not less, and they would like for us to spend a little more time on those areas where we're probably not real compatible. And in the current state of intimacy, men overwhelmingly, this is no surprise, men are generally thinking in terms of physical intimacy. Women are generally thinking in terms of emotional uh, and spiritual intimacy, that's, that's just how it is. Men uh, tend to think that's an area of marriage that could be improved, and and a lot of men think that. Now, I want to make a couple comments about that issue. Um, So the story Kurt told before before lunch about a very intimate moment between him and his wife, probably men, all of our wife got very teary-eyed hearing that, And, and most of us men were probably thinking, that didn't sound very intimate. No, that was laying there on the bed holding hands. What's what's so great about that? Um, That wasn't his point. And I hope we didn't miss his point. It's the point I want to reiterate. When I was was in my teenagers, if you would have asked me, do you know of any beautiful ladies that are 46 years old? I said, no, they don't exist. There's no such thing as a beautiful 46-year-old lady. In a couple of weeks, though, I'm going to be 45, and Emily's 46, and I think she's amazingly beautiful. And I stop, and I think to myself, like, what happened? A few years ago, there was no one that was beautiful that was in their 40s. And now I think my wife is is wonderful. (laughs) And so what's been happening along the way is an amazing change somehow in my mind. Maybe my heart, I'm not sure where it's happening, but there's a change happening. And there is a secret that is hidden within intimacy, that part of our life that when you, as men, as, when we as men are faithful to our wives and we love them like Christ loved the church and we're loyal to them, this, this miracle happens across a the lifetime. They just get more and more Beautiful. And it's something that the young guys don't know anything about. And I start, you know, and I'm 40 and I'm thinking, I've never seen like an 80-year-old lady that I thought was beautiful. <laughs> but then Kurt comes along and says, you know, he's, he's at the top of his experience just laying there holding his wife's hand because she's beautiful to him. And it's a wonderful experience. It's, it's changed. But when we submit ourselves to God, it's beautiful. I talk to men on a regular basis basis that are sexually just terribly uh, unsatisfied and frustrated and 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 it's because they don't know the secret. And sometimes I I sit them down, I say, I'm going to tell you a secret that you don't even know about. I've been married for almost 25 years to the same lady and she's beautiful and she's amazing and, and they, they, they get this kind of this misty look in their eyes because they know I'm talking about something they don't know anything about. So, although in this moment, the men say it could be better, it's true. It's going to get better if you're willing to put yourself in the place of life in your marriage. It will be incredible. Uh, you will find that growing over a lifetime. You know, I want to mention just, how am I doing on time? I don't know if I brought anything along to check. Oh, okay. Good. I want to talk just a little bit about some of the, the issues um, uh, in in our marriage. Um, uh, one of them is, is this issue of compatibility. Now, Emily and I are are very we're very compatible people. We have we share so many of the same interests and, and all of those things. Um, but we have our incompatibilities. Now, one of them is personal discipline. Um, she's a, no, I mean, I am, by nature, a very disciplined person. Now, it doesn't, I, I don't really have to work at it. It's important to me. I blame it also on the fact that I take care of all the ills of undisciplined people all the time, and so how could I be anything but disciplined? But it's, that's fairly natural for me. It makes me somewhat difficult to live with. Um, she is not an undisciplined person, but discipline doesn't come natural for her. And, uh, and, and it's certainly not as, as important to her as it is for me. Um, that makes her a lot more fun to be around and a lot more flexible. Um, and it's something we've had to work through a little bit um, in various aspects of our life. I, I can get a little ruffled if I sense undiscipline in her. And yet, it doesn't really matter. Most of those things are so inconsequential. Um, and, and that's an area where we've had to just kind of blend our lives a little bit. It's perfectly fine. You know, the sleep thing, like it comes up every time with, with people that are disciplined or undisciplined, you know. And, and so the, the very disciplined people get up at five o'clock and the undisciplined get up at six or six thirty. And and it's just nonsense, but we've had to work on that one a little bit. Another one I wanted to mention was our finances. That's one that we just haven't <laughs> had any problem with, uh, like you. Um, it's not because we've, we've um, done anything special. My dad just said, hey, Troy, when you get married, would you give her the checkbook and just let it, <laughs> give it to her, please? And that's what I did, and Kurt, I, <laughs> I'm sorry, brother. <laughs> I hate to do this to you. I hope, I'm not doing un- I'm, I hope I'm not undoing 20 years of his teaching. <laughs> but it's worked wonderful. She is a great accountant. I, I hardly have any idea what comes in or what goes out. It makes no difference to me. She takes care of the whole thing, and it's just wonderful. Anyway, uh, trust. You know, um, some of you put that, that trust is, is a challenge for you, and, and I told you it impacts all those other areas of life. And, and, and Emily and I have had to work at, at trust in our marriage at times. Um, she's not hard to trust. Anybody could trust her. That's not the issue. The issue has been with me. Um, trusting me is not always easy. And a couple of things that, that she's had to learn, that I've had to learn how to be, create more trust in, is, is the area of her emotions. And so be more sensitive to her emotions, um, try to read her better. Um, She has never doubted that I have the ability to go forward. Uh, She just has had a lot of doubts whether I have breaks and and whether I would stop for her uh, even if it didn't make sense to me. And and so those are areas that that we're working, uh, even still, on on building trust in in our marriage. Another one is just openness to help. Most of you... Put on there as far as your your willingness to go get help in your marriage. Most of you said you're you're willing to do that, and, and I hope you hold on to that and and uh, don't don't let go of that one. You you may need that one at some point in the future. I find it an interesting one. Um, that one's been very difficult for me. I and it's it's rooted in pride. That if if you want to know the the root cause of not getting help, it's it's basically pride, and and that's been my problem. Um, there 's been situations where Emily wanted to go and get help and and, and I just didn 't see the need to that. you know uh, we can figure this out or something and one one situation was a um, uh, that happened in our marriage was was a very intense discipleship type scenario that probably had some demonic activity in it and and there was no question in my mind that I was needed in that situation and And so i began investing very heavily in that situation and she was you know the further and further it went she was on the on the sidelines waving the yellow flag uh, maybe the red flag and and it was very difficult for me to to say okay yeah i need to i need to back out of that one and so ultimately we went and sat down with another couple and what they basically did was just flip on some more light switches for me and show me where where I was probably wrong. And and um, that was a very helpful thing, humbling, but very helpful. And I, I would encourage you when you get to those, and I'm encouraging myself too, because I, I know the next time it's not going to be any easier, but, but but when when those times come, go sit down with someone, someone that you trust and just lay it out and say, who, what am I not seeing? Um, it'll bless your marriage. It has certainly blessed ours. Okay, um, let's go on. Challenges within marriage. So so some of you went ahead and started writing some things down. And so I said, well, let's, let's start looking at it. Communication is often difficult for us. It's hard to share my heart and feel like I'm being heard and understood. Healing from my spouse's past addictions. These are things within marriages that just kind of threaten the life of it, finding time to talk, so many commitments, personal disciplines like prayer and reading the word, lack of good communication, little time together uninterrupted, the challenges of little babies, the busyness of life and and hard to find time to refresh and connect, finding time to communicate without the family around, fear due to past failures, being willing to die to my selfishness, time for each other, apathy and comfort, communication, a general lack of kindness and gentleness from both of us, just coasting, being in the doldrums of marriage. So those are some things that that you all wrote are challenges within your marriage. And so certainly I didn't touch on all of them. There's others, and and that was some of them. There are also external pressures that we feel that that are wanting to suck the life out of our marriage, like the heavy workload, being busy pressure to perform in a world of busyness, technology and media, church issues, finances, the cares of this life, the discouragement of what's happening to marriage in the world, just the devaluing of it, social busyness, babies, schedules, children's needs and work, strong friend groups that need our time and are offended if, we don't, if we're not as loyal as we should be, expectations, the pain of older children's decisions, family relationships, the escape of technology. Those are all things from outside that are just putting pressure on our marriage. And and so then we kind of come to this point, what can we do to keep our marriages on purpose? And some of you wrote a few things like reading and praying together, setting aside time specifically for each other. Jesus keeps us on purpose, slipping off together, Singing together. Regular dates for communication. These are, if you're looking for a list of what can I do, here's here's what you all are saying. Being intentional about finding time to connect emotionally, physically, spiritually. A good cup of strong coffee and quiet time to share and open up. Show appreciation for each other. Write things down to talk about when there's time instead of trying to squeeze it in. Sticking to our vision and goals, even when it doesn't feel good. Spend time chatting when there's not a hot button issue. And I actually added on this, a walk in the cool of the day. I love coming home, having dinner, uh, maybe getting the children busy doing the dishes or something, and then just her and I going for a quick walk down the road. And just It can be a half a mile or a mile, and we can just chat about all the day. She can fill in the blanks for me and I for her and fill each other's need for communication up um, another one is, is is retreats and we didn't um, just getting away together now I think Sam talked about that the first one they took and and we we did this um, some time ago and it was um, it was uh, it was overdue and I would I would highly encourage you to do that there's probably many older couples in your congregation that would be delighted to keep your children so you can go spend some time working on your marriage. Um, we kind of committed to doing it once a year. And, um, and back in 17, after we had had a little bit of a rough go, uh, she and I slipped off to, to McCall and, and sat down and wrote up the McCall document. And... Uh, So this is dated February the 13th, 2017. She just pulled it out and gave it to me. Um, There's nothing on here, hon, that you're ashamed of, right? Oh, okay. Well, I'll just give you an example of what it could look like. Um, This is just a list. It's got both of our signatures at the bottom. Once a year retreat, February-ish. We just decided it's time that we start taking a retreat about once a year. We're going to slip away for a couple of days, even if it's just a Boise. We'll slip into Boise. We've done that. and That's, that's a lot of fun. Um, here's one. I, I, oh, I don't know if I can read that one. Troy commits to opening up my van door. Now, that may seem... <laughs> I've totally failed that one. But it, it apparently came up in the conversation like you used to love me enough to open the door and now you don't. And, and, and I must have made a commitment. All right, I'm going to try to do it. And, and I... <laughs> I, I have little spurts where I open the door still for her. Um, I'm still working on that one. I just saw it. Okay, okay. I love it every time I do it, and she loves it every time I do it. I don't know why I don't do it every time. Um, okay, Troy uh, is going to try to be more sensitive to my emotions and realize that I have a lot of guilt if I have to say no to something. So that's something my wife, if she has to say no, she feels guilty. And, and I need to understand that so that I can help her through that and, and not load more on her than she can do. Troy's going to try to protect me from his high level of energy and goals and from my own lack of intuition as to when it's too much. And so sometimes she doesn't know how much she can do, and I don't often have a very good set of breaks. It's just we can do it. Um, um, yeah, Troy's committed to bringing in another agreed-upon couple if we get locked up and emotional about an issue. So, it's a commitment we made five years ago that if we get locked up, we're getting somebody else involved and uh, they'll help us. Um, We've agreed to try to set boundaries in helping others. It's something she and I do terribly. Realizing too much help may not be helpful. And so, we love to help and and sometimes we help too much. Um, We're, okay. And then the final one was, Emily agrees to realize that everything that stretches us causes her to pull back. And so that was something I felt like that she needed to work on, that just because it stretches our family doesn't mean you should say no. Uh, Maybe you should think about it um, uh, before you say no. And we're going to strive for some prayer times together. That's an example of something that you can do when... Those were were our issues, I don't know what your issues are. But think through them together and write them down. Um, And don't just put them in the file when you get home. What is the power of a purpose-driven marriage oriented around life? Um, There's a lot of power in it. it. It spills out and touches others. I wanna just mention that one. I was walking in Island Park last week, and I do it at lunchtime every day. I eat my apple and I walk down to the river and I call, I eat my apple on the first half of the, the walk and I call my wife on the, on the last half of the walk. And uh, <laughs> I'm really not that much of an ogre, but sometimes I am. Um, and so I was walking along and to my left I noticed this jungle gym and there were four children. Climbing all over this gem, and so I was smiling. I thought that's cute, children out here. It's lunchtime, probably on a Wednesday, you know. And I walked a little further, and then I saw this this fellow, this old guy about my age, walking towards them. And he looked kind of like a farmer that had been taken from his work, if you can imagine that. You know, he's it's Wednesday lunchtime. His wife said, "You need to meet me down at the park. We're going to do something fun with the kids." And so um, he was walking along, kind of head down like this, walking over towards his children, kind of a you know, a good chiseled fella. And I kept walking and I suddenly noticed a movement and here running across the, the yard was his wife and she was sprinting and he couldn't see her coming but I could because I was watching the whole thing from the side and she got within, you know, three feet and she launched herself and landed on his back, threw her arms around his, his neck and her legs around his waist and he just got this huge grin on his face, and she's just laughing, and I'm laughing with them. And I just went on my way, just thinking, that's, that's really neat. I want to know more about that marriage. I don't know anything about them, but they love each other. I can just see it. And, and as we start talking about the power of a purpose driven marriage, it just goes out and touches everybody. So, contributing, so contribute to the incredibly beautiful picture of the romance of all eternity of Christ and his bride, the church. If your marriage is a little bit of paint and you get to put it up on the, on the easel that the world gets to see as an illustration of the divine romance, what is your little portion of the painting looking like? Is it making people say, wow, Jesus really loves the church? Um, experiencing as a couple the power of death and resurrection and the incredible beauty of two lives being just blended together. Um, I just think of stones, you know, in a, in a, in a, a polisher, you know, they just kind of roll on each other around, 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 around. And when, they're ugly when they go in there and they're just beautiful when you pull them out. And I just think of that as, as our marriages. It's just a cycle of, of dying and then resurrection and dying and resurrection. And, and, and as you experience that throughout a lifetime, and you're blended into one, the, the, the result is just incredible beauty. The opportunity to have a life-filled home. Emily and I have longed to have a life-filled home. We wanted to have happy children. We've wanted to have children that love to sing and, and, and love to be together. Um, um, just a, a happy home. It's, it's been, it's, we've had times like that. Um, we've had times that are not like that. Um, uh as probably as i shared with the men um the death angel visited our house and took away uh, my oldest daughter um into his camp and and that's where she's at right now she's 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 on the other side um living life to herself and um you know that that the happiness that took a, a lot of happiness out of our home for a long time as we just cried out, you know, um, wasn't there blood over our door? Why did, why did our daughter get taken? And we almost drowned. We almost drowned in, you know, in just the, in just the um, really the blood from our own hearts. And, and just the disappointment and, and the overwhelming just uh, of, of believing that you actually had a good relationship with a child and then to have them walk away but we have survived and and we've survived, I think by three things that I can think of. Number one is the grace of God. So he's helped us through it. And the second thing is um, the the immense understanding and love and support of other people that have gone through that. Um, Those people are so special in times like that. And then thirdly, um, what God had done in our marriage leading up until that point. Um, that's where the re- the resiliency uh, came in. That that we were not we wanted to give up. We wanted to stop. We wanted to just throw away being parents. We're, we're we're not even capable of being parents. Scrap the whole project. And yet we're we're getting just enough courage day by day to keep in the battle. And there's many ways that that homes can be attacked. Um, but I do want to give a testimony to the Lord that, that He can get you through those kind of things. Um, To pour life into complex situations together and be hands and feet of Jesus by having a living, open home. And that's something we have wanted. We have wanted in every way to just have a wide open home. And and I still don't know the cost of that yet. Um, But that's what we've wanted. We have wanted a home where anybody could come. And, And if I could give you a little picture of the people that have been there it has been drunks and schizophrenics and homeless and drifters uh, i'll tell you one uh, i was very busy in the office of probably a month and a half ago and i picked up the phone and i called emily and i said "Hun, i i'm sending a lady to the house i'm so busy i can't really tell you anything about her but she needs you and i just sent her to our house and the lady was soaked in urine. She was smeared with dog dew. She had been living in her van for the last four months with four dogs and, and she was sick. She had nobody that would care for her. And I, I just said, go to my house. And, and you know, it wasn't long until Emily swept her into the house, got her in the bathtub, got her all scrubbed up and got her in a fresh set of clothes and had her all propped up on the couch. That's the kind of home we've wanted to have. Now, About 10 days later, I had to tell the lady it was time to go. Um, Our house smelled, it reeked of urine, our leather couch was soaked, we had to burn it. Um, And and we'd kind of reached the point where it was time to move on. uh, um, But we've wanted to have a home that was open, that could could in some way instill life into places of of deep brokenness. We wanted to share our faith together as a couple. And you know that's that's come at a very high cost for us it was important to us that our christian faith be shared in some way Um, that drove me to take a trip to honduras in 2008 that cost us most of our friendships at the time it drove us ultimately to move out of pennsylvania a place that we loved dearly for me to give up a job that i love dearly to move out into the sticks where we have been hammered by Satan on every single side, on every single issue, it seems like. You name the scenario. I think we've probably seen it since we've been there. But it's something that we've wanted. We've wanted the life in our marriage to contribute to something uh, like that. And, um, and, And God's been gracious. Meeting life's challenges together with grace. We've wanted that. Anyway, a word to some young couples. Do not believe the lies. This is as good as it gets. He or she will never change. There will never be beauty in our marriage. No one else struggles like we do. I should have never gotten married in the first place and we could just add a whole bunch more lies up there. Uh, Instead, believe if God designed marriage like all of His creation, it likely contains so much more than I could ever imagine. I've probably only just begun. You have. You have not yet even begun to see It is only a fool that claims to understand any one given thing that God has created. The power of God to change my spouse and I is limitless. I'm going to choose to live with myself and my spouse looking for God's continued work. All of us are going to probably leave here feeling a deep sense of, I've got so much work to do. Um, The list is long. We can dwell on that, but but choose to believe in the power of God to change. And, and that's one of the things that these, these marriage testimonies do for us. They, they give us a sense of what God can do over time in the lives of people. Um, ask the question, I wonder what God has in store for us in the future. What will he do to create beauty from our ashes? There, is, there are ashes probably in all of our marriages, but yet God can take beauty. He can pull it out of ashes. And he will do that in our marriages. A beautiful, purpose-driven marriage is bearing the image of God while it produces, promotes, and protects life in a world languishing in death. And that's it. Um, I, I also want to continue praying for the people behind those surveys. And uh, thank you again for... Um, all of your instruction of us this afternoon through the things that you wrote. And the Lord bless you.